Take your Bibles this morning and turn to a Christmas passage, Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. I'm not going to speak to you today on the problem with long hair. As Sue was getting ready for printing the bulletins, I didn't have a title. And so I tossed that one out and figured it was at least appropriate to Samson. But that's not really the topic we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a fool falling. Judges chapter 13, and because the story of Samson spans four chapters in the Bible, we're just going to kind of cherry pick a few places. We'll start in verse number one, and then we're going to skip around. So Judges chapter 13, verse one. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Jump down to verse 24. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtel. Jump over to chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there, and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and of the the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him, and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. 
But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How could you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, And to rejoice, and they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Father God, we're so thankful for the word of God. We're thankful, Lord, for the Old Testament and the New We're thankful, Lord, for the stories that tell us glorious and wonderful truths about good people. We're thankful also, Lord, for the stories that tell us weaknesses of those who struggle. And, Father, as we look at this story of Samson, we see here, Father, a fool falling, and we pray that we would learn from it. Lord, I pray for each man, each woman, each boy, each girl in his place today. I pray that we would put out of our minds every other thought and we would concentrate on what you have for us in this passage. I pray, Lord God, that you would make it real to us, that we would see the warnings here, the danger here. We would also see the glorious truth uh, that you have solved these problems for us. So help today, we pray. Fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to say everything I ought to as boldly as needs to be said and nothing more. Help me, Lord God, to, uh, to just, uh, just preach as you'd have it preached today. And then may all of us be filled with your spirit that we might hear. 
pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray it, and I'll say it. Every man and every boy in this room needs this sermon. So listen up. And ladies, every one of you needs it too. I need this sermon. For in these particular chapters, in the account of Samson, we all ought to see ourselves. Because we're all in there. Samson was a judge in Israel. We learned about one such judge last week when we talked about Gideon. He was a, Samson was a judge for 20 years, pretty much all of his adult life. That 20-year period occurred approximately 1069 to 1049 B.C. He was the last of the judges. He was used of God to begin the deliverance of the Israelites from their greatest enemy, their longest oppressor, and that was the Philistines. He would not complete the task, but he was used to begin it. Uh, the angel of the Lord, yet another theophany as we've seen so often in this series, the angel of the Lord told his mother, he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines in chapter 13, verse 5. They would continue to oppress the children of Israel until they were finally defeated under Samuel and David some years hence. Now, Samson was different than the judges that preceded him. He didn't judge as Gideon did. For example, he didn't pull together an army and lead them into battle. Samson was a lone wolf. He was a loner whose personal feats of strength and exploits against the Philistines completely stymied them and kept them from concentrating on anything else. He was a Rambo-esque character who fought a guerrilla warfare against Philistia. He single-handedly killed thousands at a time. Uh, with no help from any other men, he single-handedly wrought amazing victories and, 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 and performed astonishing feats of strength. They were, they were completely flummoxed and stymied by this man. They could send an army after this one man, and he would emerge victorious. It was quite an amazing thing. But strong man Samson was actually quite weak. Frankly, one of the weaker characters that we find in the entirety of Scripture. His story is the story of a fool Falling. And so we all need to take warning from what we see here. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on, on these things, summarized Samson well. He said he was bold before men. Samson was weak before women and couldn't resist telling them his secrets. Empowered by the Spirit of God, he yielded his body to the appetites of the flesh. Called to declare war on the Philistines, he fraternized with the enemy and even tried to marry a Philistine woman. He fought the Lord's battles by day. And disobeyed the Lord's commandments by night. Given the name Samson, which means sunny, he ended up in the darkness, blinded by the very enemy he was supposed to conquer. Now, I skipped around. I didn't read it all. I would encourage you to read Judges 13 through 16 in their entirety, and you'll see the whole story of Samson. Uh, for now, I'm going to try to summarize it, and I'm going to try to summarize it under three different points. First of all, Samson's feats of strength. I'm going to talk as fast as I can right there to go through all of his feats of strength. Secondly, Samson's source of strength. And thirdly, Samson's loss of strength. Those are the three things we'll talk about today. So first of all, Samson's feats of strength. Some of these we read about, some of them we didn't. So let me just go down through them just as quickly as we can. In chapter 14, verses 5 through 6, Samson killed a lion with his bare hands. Verses 5 and 6. If I can find it here. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. 
though he had nothing in his hand. Now, one source I read said that that, it, it said that, that tearing a part of a young goat, uh, what they used to do, I don't know why they did this, whether it was for sacrificial purposes or just the way they butchered animals, I don't know, but they would take the two hind legs and just literally rip them apart. Okay, I can see that with a young goat. So I looked up lions, and, and from everything I can see, there are no lions in Israel today. They're extinct there, but in this day, the Asiatic lion was there. The Asiatic lion, the male lion, weighs between 350 and 400 pounds. And the female lion weighs between 240 and 260 pounds. Now, the text does say this was a young lion. But still, how could anybody take a lion and rip it apart like that bare hands? That's not all he did, though. Look down at chapter 14, verse number 19. Chapter 14, verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained his riddle. Chapter 14 describes Samson's first problem with women, and he had a few. He married a Philistine woman, which was plainly a violation of the Mosaic law. He had been called of God to deliver the Israelites from Philistia, but rather than consider them an enemy, he hung around them, he fraternized with them, and he even married a Philistine woman. During the wedding feast, chapter 14, verse 10, which is more aptly referred to as a drinking party. That's what the word really means. Uh, He posed the riddle to the 30 Philistine companions that were there, his Philistine friends. And if they could solve the riddle, he would give them 30 changes of clothing, and if they couldn't, they had to give it to him. Well, they plowed with his heifer. They, They tormented his wife, threatened her with death, If she didn't come up with the answer, she tormented him. He gave up the answer to her. She gave up the answer to them. And in order to get those 30 changes of clothing, he went some miles away and killed 30 men. I couldn't kill 30 men, even if I was that kind of a person. It was an amazing feat. Chapter 15, verse 4. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing ground grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. He took 300 foxes, tied them tail to tail, put a torch in between them, and set them loose into fields and burned the fields all down. Now, he did this because after his anger subsided over the riddle incident, He returned to see his wife and found out that her father had given him to another man. So he was a little peeved. And the foxes were his unique approach to vengeance in that case. Now think about this. How does anybody catch 300 foxes? I mean, think about that. This is this, how one finds them is miraculous enough. But to catch them and to tie them together and to put fire in between them, I, I don't get that. I don't get it at all. Usually when you read about the exploits of Samson, you don't hear about this one, but I think this was pretty amazing. How he could do it. I found one commentator, and commentators are always really, really good at trying to simplify things. And this fellow said, uh, the word foxes could also be translated jackals. And jackals travel in packs, so that would have made it easier. Really? I'm not quite sure I see how. I don't know how he did this. I don't know how any of this could have been done, but he did it. We go down to chapter 15 and verse number 8. He attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Here's another place, very little said about this, that he attacked the Philistines hip and thigh with a great slaughter. They were mildly peeved at him now because he had burned all their fields down. And so they took it out on his ex-wife 
who had been given to another man and burned her to death along with his, her father. And so that made Samson even more angry. And he went and smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. That phrase, hip and thigh, indicates he attacked them viciously. It indicates it was a ferocious attack. And so we don't know how many he killed there. We just know it was lots. We know it was bad. Chapter 15 and verse number 15. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Now his own people had delivered him to the Philistines, bound with new ropes that should have held any normal man. But when he arrived in Philistine territory, and you can read that in the verses just prior to where I just read, uh, the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire and fell off of him. And there on the ground was a jawbone of an ass, and he picked it up. Now this was a bone about the length of a man's arm. And so I want you to picture this scene. He killed a thousand men with this thing. Uh, I, everything that, that I read here lends, lends me to believe that this was a thousand armed men, that they had taken him to this army. Uh, that's what they were delivering him to. So here he is. Picture the scene in your mind. One thousand armed Philistine soldiers rushing this man from all sides. And he's just standing there with a bone, slashing. This bone crashing down upon helmets. This bone crashing down upon shields. This bone killing a thousand men. Until finally there is no one standing except Samson, holding a bloody jawbone and surrounded by heaps and heaps. How many people are in here? A hundred? Ten times the number of bodies that are in this room right now, piled up around him. Amazing. We get down to chapter 16 and we see that Samson begins the night there. Uh, the chapter begins with, with Samson spending the night with a prostitute. The Philistines heard he was there. They surrounded the place. They lay in wait for him to come out in the morning. And so he snuck out, managed to escape them at midnight, and grabbed the gates of the city, the posts that the gates hung on, the bars that were over top of the gates. Now, this thing would have weighed, I've got to believe, tons. And he picked it up and carried it to the top of a hill and left it there. And then, of course, his final feat of strength we read about in chapter 16. He destroyed the temple of Dagon. 3,000 Philistine men and women with his bare hands. And, of course, no doubt that's the most famous part of the story of, of Samson, and that's the reason that I read that part. Samson had uh, fallen in love with yet another woman, Delilah. She was probably also a prostitute. Chapter 16 begins with him spending the night with a prostitute, and here we see Delilah. Her name meant devotee. So some people believe she was a temple prostitute. She, too, was approached by the Philistine authorities who wanted her to uh, betray him to them. They offered her an exorbitant sum of money, and the fact that she was willing to betray him for money also kind of feeds into that thought about her. And so she waited for an opportune moment, asked him the source of his great strength, and he lied. And he lied, and we saw him lie several times. He lied, first of all, saying seven fresh bowstrings would do the trick, and, of course, it didn't. And she bound him as instructed. She woke him up. She had been lying in wait. And, of course, he had lied, and they just snapped right off. And so she whined, and she cried, said he was mocking her. And uh, so he said new ropes would do it. Of course, he was lying again. She should have known that that had already been tried and didn't work. She whined harder and louder, accused him of all sorts of mocking of her and of lying. And he told her to weave his hair into the loom. 
Now, I can't imagine what that looks like. What does that look like? And I even more can't imagine, how in the world do you do that to a man without waking him up from his sleep? But nonetheless, she did. And, of course, he'd lied again, and it didn't work. But notice he had mentioned his hair. His you was wearing him down. He was getting close. And so now Delilah pulled out all those female stops. And, ladies, you know all those female stops. How can you say I love you? How can you say that when you lie to me? And she whined and whined, your heart is not with me. You have mocked me three times. She kept it up and she kept it up and she kept it up and she kept it up until it says it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. I love that. He told her. And she cut his hair. And his strength left him. And this time when the Philistines jumped him, he was powerless. They put out his eyes. They made him a slave. Sad end for an astonishingly powerful and important man. But eventually there came a day, we read about it, when all the Philistines were gathered in one huge celebration. They decided to bring out their old enemy, their now subdued enemy that they thought they had won the victory over to entertain them. Samson was blind now, but he could see an opportunity, an opportunity for vengeance. And so he asked the boy who led him, to put him behind, between the pillars, he prayed. Not the first time that he had prayed. He prayed that God would grant him one last bit of strength. And he pushed those pillars down. The building came down. Killed 3,000. All the lords of the Philistines. 3,000 men and women. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. So that's Samson's feats of strength. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing stuff. Where did it come from? What was Samson's source of strength? Usually, if you will see artists' depictions of Samson, you will see a huge man with a narrow waist, broad shoulders, rippling abs, and bulging biceps. That's normally the way he is depicted. And the idea conveyed by such is that he was a naturally gifted athletic type, stronger, more powerful than most normal men. However, that explanation is insufficient, isn't it? Come on, no matter how strong he might be, no man could rip a lion in half with his bare hands. And no man could catch 300 foxes and tie them together and put torches between them and burn down a field. And no man could kill 1,000 armed soldiers with a piece of bone and emerge unscathed. No man could do this, that is, in his own strength. Some people read these chapters and they believe that the source of Samson's strength was something in his hair. Something about his hair gave him supernatural strength. After all, when Delilah shaved it off, his strength left him. And when it started to grow again, the Bible does say in verse number 22 uh, that his hair was was growing again. And and they, they take that to mean it was a source of his strength. But it wasn't the source of his strength. It was rather a symbol of the source of his strength. You see, we didn't talk about it. We're clear back in chapter 13. We learned that Samson was a Nazarite, the angel of the Lord. When she came, when he came uh, to his mother, he announced Samson's impending birth, and he said he will be a Nazarite from the womb. And so we ought to define that term, shouldn't we? One man defined it like this. Nazarites were persons who for a stated period of time consecrated themselves to the Lord in a special way. They abstained from drinking wine and strong drink. They avoided touching dead bodies, and as a mark of their consecration, they allowed their hair to grow. The laws governing the Nazarite vow are given in Numbers chapter 6. 
So Samson's strength was not in his hair, but in the spirit of God, the presence of God's spirit, which was symbolized by that hair. Cutting his hair would demonstrate he was disobedient to God and to his vows to God. The real source of, uh, of his strength was the spirit of God that came upon him. While artists like to depict Samson as a big, strong man, I, I tend to think the exact opposite. I don't think there was anything about Samson that looked any different than anybody else. Uh, I heard one preacher one time preaching say that he thought he was probably just a little puny pipsqueak until the spirit of God came upon him. I don't know if I would go that far. But I think that there's, there's nothing here in the text that gives us any reason to believe he looked anything but normal. So much so, the Philistines had no idea what it was about this guy that was, was so impossible for them to defeat him, which made him such a formidable foe. They said to Delilah, entice him, find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him. They had no idea what made him different. He didn't appear superhuman. Samson was a, just a normal man with normal strength who, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he became super normal and super strong. We see that in chapter 13 and verse 25, 14 verse 6 and 19, chapter 15 and verse 14. Four times it is explicitly stated that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Literally, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and gave him the strength that he needed to accomplish the task. I, it's not stated, but I think it's also implied there in chapter 16 and verses 28 through 30 when he, at the end, also wrought that victory. And I think we ought to pause here just for a moment and talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit and the difference between the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New, uh, because it's not the same. Jesus described this change in John chapter 14. He said, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's the difference between the Old Testament and the New. That, those words were spoken by Jesus before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. Jesus said that in the present, before Pentecost, as he was saying those words, the Holy Spirit was with them. But in the future, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would be in them. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was as active as he is in this dispensation, but his ministry was different. He now indwells every believer. Then he came upon a believer for a specific period of time and for a specific reason. Samson was not superhuman. He was no different than any of us, except when the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And under the influence of the Spirit of God, he could tear a lion in half with his bare hands. He could kill a thousand men with the jawbone of an ass. He could kill 3,000 people by pushing an entire building down upon their head because he was empowered by the Spirit of the Lord. So Samson's feats of strength, Samson's source of strength, let's look now finally at Samson's loss of strength. And I think there are several explanations. Samson, like so many today, blurred the line between the world and God. Right from the very start of this story, we are given a picture of a man who knew his calling, he knew his Nazarite vow, and yet he chose to ignore its implications in his life. An Israelite marrying outside of Israel was plainly forbidden by the Mosaic law. And yet, who was the first woman that he sought? A Philistine woman. And that was the first of many dalliances with women. His reasoning was, she pleases me well. 
in chapter 14 and verse number 3. Which literally means she is right in my eyes. What a parallel to so many today. I mean, think about that. There's so many today who, like Samson, choose their own desires over what the Bible clearly said. It didn't matter to Samson that this thing was clearly not right in God's eyes. All that mattered to him was it was right in his eyes. Despite living under the Nazarite vow, despite being called of God in a very special way, Samson followed the law when it was expedient for him and ignored it when it was no longer expedient. The Nazarite vow also explicitly uh, forbid the touching of a dead carcass. didn't seem to matter to him when he went to get the honey out of the carcass of the lion. He made a special effort to turn aside and to go to that carcass and check it out. The definition of the word feast in chapter 14 and verse number 10. I already mentioned this. It includes drinking as a major component. One source actually translates that word as a drinking party rather than a feast. And so it's entirely possible that even that aspect of the Nazarite vow, no wine, no strong drink, was completely ignored by Samson. And, of course, the biggest thing with Samson was Samson had a serious problem with women. Perhaps his most obvious and glaring weakness involved his sensual appetite for women. In Judges 14.1, he was attracted to a woman and desired her for his wife, even though she was clearly off limits. He wanted her, and that's all that mattered. Chapter 16 opens with him sleeping with a prostitute and goes on to describe the ultimate example of his weakness for women, Delilah. I mentioned already that her name means devotee, and that she probably also was a prostitute. Samson's weakness for women followed this very similar pattern. He would see, he would want, he would take, and then he would be burned. Oh, that all of us men would learn from Samson. You know, we live in an age where we are told women never lie. Ever heard, have you heard that one? It's all over the news these days. Women never lie. And, of course, certainly good women don't. There are many good and godly women. This room is full of them. But Proverbs warns us that some of them are not. Listen to what some of the things that Proverbs says. The lips of an immoral woman drip honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Oh, that Samson would listen to that. That's why Solomon also wrote, You should rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. This is why Paul told the Thessalonians, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Samson could not resist. 
the sexual, sensual charms of a woman. Nor could Samson resist the manipulative, tearful charms of a woman. He was entrapped by the former in three out of three of his recorded affairs. He was entrapped by the latter in two out of three of his affairs. And when we get to the final scene with Delilah whining and crying and manipulating them with her tears, Samson seems oblivious to what's happening. He even seemed to think it was a game, toying with her throughout this entire thing. And, buddy, it's dangerous to make a game out of the important things of God. We can't help but wonder, and we can't even be amazed at how stupid Samson appears to have been here. How could he not see what she was doing? How could he be so blind? Well, but then Samson's sin and his weakness led to the Spirit of the Lord leaving him in verse number 20. And I think this is the saddest verse in the entire account. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Just as the Holy Spirit came upon men and women in the Old Testament for particular purposes, he also left them when those purposes were accomplished or when sin got in the way. David is another example of this. David, after he sinned with with Bathsheba in his great prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, listen to how he prayed. He said, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That can't happen with you and me. Not in the dispensation of grace. We have the promise that he will never leave us. Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper That's the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. We we can lie to the spirit. We can quench the spirit. We can grieve the spirit, but we can never lose the spirit as Christians. But Samson could, and Samson did. And what a sad thought. I think it's the saddest thing of the whole story to think about. Such a precious gift from God could be taken from him, and he didn't even know it was gone. Amazes me. Well, let me just make a few comments in closing. We've seen his feats of strength, the source of his strength, and the loss of his strength. Let me just make a couple of comments, and we'll be done. First of all, let me say this. God works... In spite of our faults. God works in spite of our faults. Even our failings are used by God to accomplish his ultimate will. I am astonished at the wisdom of God. Chapter 14 and verse number 4 is likely the key verse to understanding Samson. God used Samson in spite of his weaknesses and civil tendencies rather than because of his faithfulness. It was of the Lord. Chapter 14. And verse number four says, one man said in commentating on that, when God isn't permitted to rule in our lives, he overrules and works out his will in spite of our decisions. That's exactly what happened here and what will happen with us. Another comment I would make is this. When tempted sexually, the solution is to run as fast as you can run. You remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. That's the right example. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, get him to sleep with her. What did he do? He turned around and ran as fast as he could 
in the other direction. Of course, that's what we're taught to do. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Run. Paul told Timothy, flee also, youthful lusts. Flee. Run. Third comment I would make is this. Samson was a child of his times. He like his culture, did what was right in his own eyes. You know, folks, just because our culture says sexual immorality is okay, doesn't mean it's okay. Just because our culture says living together outside of marriage is fine or pornography is harmless, it doesn't change the fact God said those things are harmful, sinful, dangerous. Samson should have done what was right in God's eyes and avoided the shame and early end that came to him. So should we. Thus we want to end up like Samson, as a fool, falling. Fourth comment I would make is this. The best of men are men at best. Don't get me wrong. Samson was not an evil man. Just the opposite. He was a believer. He was a hero. He was eventually included in the list of the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You've got to get your brain around that. He was not an evil man. Because he didn't take his calling and his walk with God seriously. Because he played fast and loose with the word of God. Because he walked just as close as he could to the world and with the world. Because he allowed his appetites to rule his life. He ended tragically. He ended catastrophically. And you and I are no different. Every man in this church ought to be listening to this. Every man in this church ought to be at this altar this morning praying for help to protect you from your Samson-like tendencies because we all have them. And every, every woman who loves a man in this church ought to be right there alongside of him praying for help, praying that she'll never be a Delilah to him. We live in a culture that is so mired in filth. And I don't know how else to say it. But it's so mired in filth that every person in this room is susceptible to fall into this. If statistics are true, every man in this room has a problem with pornography, and almost every woman, if statistics are true. If you think this doesn't apply to you, you are a fool, falling, just like Samson. The best of men are men of best. And then one last comment, and with this I close. And maybe this is the most important comment. We have an advocate. We have an advocate. If this hits a little too close to home for you, if you see yourself a little bit too much in Samson or in Delilah, you are not beyond hope. Jesus died to give you hope. My Bible tells me if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The death of our Savior on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ is the hope of every fool falling. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All. Father God, thank you for the story of Samson. What an interesting person he was. What an amazing person. How you used him so mightily in so many ways. And yet, Lord, the great lessons that we can learn from him are all negative. 
May we not be like him. May we learn from his mistakes. May we learn to not dabble in the world. May we learn to take our walk with you seriously. May we not try to get just as close as we can to the things of this world and as far as we can from the things of God. Help us, Father, to learn from his mistakes. May we not be fools falling. And, Lord, if there's anybody in this room today to whom that uh, does hit just a little bit too close to home, I pray that uh, as we sing in a moment or as we listen to music in a moment, that uh, they'll know that they ought to just step out and come to the front and pray. We all need to pray about this, Lord. Protect us, we pray. Help us to turn our lives over to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our advocate, and will forgive us of anything. May we not be as Samson. May we turn to Christ uh, and, uh, and avoid all of that. We pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake.